0: Doesn't matter where your product is, just start building that pipeline. Yeah. And 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 if you're raising money, like go raise against that.
1: The road of an entrepreneur is guaranteed to be askew, and there are always big questions to overcome. How are tech founders bootstrapping their way to the top while spending money from their own pockets? How do they scale a startup that is primed for a successful exit? yet still remain profitable? These are the types of questions that this podcast will help answer, and it will shine light onto the livelihood of entrepreneurs, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the dirt in between. My name is Jim Barnish, and welcome to The Dirt. Our guest today is a special founder from right here in Florida. He has an incredible passion for building amazing brands, empathetic teams, and doing incredible work, and has spent the last 15 years demonstrating that as a serial entrepreneur. In today's conversation, we'll get down in the dirt on how his current B2B SaaS product has weathered a scary strategic pivot that nearly led to his company going out of business, but now has seen him seeing exponential growth to the tune of 5 million plus ARR and growing by the day. CEO and founder of GoGig, Chris Hodges. Welcome to The Dirt. How you doing, Jim? So, Chris, um, you know, you've got a lot of things that you've overcome in the last year or two. Um, you know, not just being a Purdue fan, but also in your business. Any uh any insight that you can can share with the group would be helpful just because a lot of folks have felt the same the same pressure over the last couple of years. Yeah, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, right? Um,
0: so it's, you know, um, the the uh, I mean the the number one thing I would share just about you know being a founder, or, you know, whatever. Especially my my background is really coming from uh, a growth perspective. I'm a, I'm a sales guy at heart. I wrote the algorithm for GoGig, but that's just a fancy word for a giant math equation, right? So um, the the, the number one thing that, you know, I would obviously share with founders is um, just about the ability to, you know, be able to separate people from their money um, when it comes to growing, you know, and selling your business. If it's B2B software as a service, um, you know, even if the product isn't where it needs to be, um, you know, proving that concept and understanding your sales cycle, uh, building those relationships with customers, even if the product is just standing barely on its own, you know, barely on its own with just its, you know, duct tape holding it together. Um, get out there, open up doors, you know, get to know the person that would eventually buy your product. So that way, you know, whenever you're done building um, where they need to see it and they're ready to pilot it or whatever the case may be, you've already done 18 months of work you know, leading up through that that long sales process. Um, so start selling tomorrow, right? Regardless of where you're at on the product.
1: Yeah, that's, that's something so many founders, especially ones that have background in product and tech, right, um, you know, it's gotta be perfect before I go out to sell it. And in, in reality, you're gonna learn so much in your first few sales cycles alone that you're gonna, otherwise you'll end up in the same iterative cycle. Um, you know what 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 did your first few sales cycles look like as you were growing and and you know and I know I mentioned the pivot before but um you mind just talking a little bit about how gogig has kind of evolved and and been able to see this incredible growth of the last year yeah. So we,
0: what I quickly found out, and I'll never do this again personally, but I ran, you know, when GoGig first started, we were a talent marketplace. It matched job seekers to hiring companies. So you had a two-sided marketplace. You needed to just scale the amount of users in the platform, meaning job seekers, in order to meet the demands of the hiring professionals on the other side. And you kind of have to do it in some sort of tandem way, whether that's regionally or industry focused or, or whatever the case ends up being fortunate for other companies that were growing marketplaces with lots of users, call it Facebook, Snapchat, or, you know, pick any LinkedIn's probably our parallel example. But when the 2008 downturn hit, they really got that flywheel going. People needed to professionally network. They didn't know what the fuck to do. So they started flocking to this website that would help them professionally open doors and build relationships so that's you know without spending a whole lot of marketing the timing was really ripe for somebody to you know grow from a flywheel perspective on a professional networking platform that was not the case for us right just like podcasts have grown and it's become really hard to you know grow your listening audience it was really hard for us to grow our user base Getting a few hundred thousand users was a massive milestone for us. Lots of candidates started to join. Um, That looks good to investors, but you've got LinkedIn that has 500 million users on the platform. So even if we had one or 2 million or 3 million, it's nowhere near the scale that we needed to achieve. So lots of money would have needed to get sunk into the company in order to grow it. We would have had to raise astronomical amounts of capital at astronomical valuations which would get us to a point of no return to be able to sell it later on down the road um, because we would have a valuation that would be so high and no one would be able to buy it. So we started to grow this business. We started to generate revenue from it. So companies would sign up, they pay their monthly subscription and those sort of things. Um, but we weren't, you know, ignore COVID for a minute, but we weren't meeting the, like we were getting tons of companies flocking to the concept of GoGig, remaining anonymous in job search. But you know, we would have car dealerships, people looking for aeronautical engineers, cruise lines. Um, you know, watch uh, Ulysses Nardine watches, right? BurgerFi, right? Different customers mm-hmm. that were coming and using our platform, but they needed all different types of people, and the few hundred thousand users we had just didn't meet the demands for every single one of them. So our churn rate was high, but the people that were getting results, the churn rate was low. So uh, it was. It's kind of a weird dynamic and kind of the tra- challenge of growing a two sided marketplace. The best thing we did for our company was after we made the pivot over from, you know, over to a B2B software as a service model where we took our original intellectual property, we started white labeling it and we sold it to companies that already had databases of candidates that they could promote it to on their own. So we essentially nixed one side of the two sided marketplace challenge. Yes, it's still a two-sided marketplace business, but we went to companies that already had traffic from the candidate perspective, whether that's university alumni associations with databases of alumni, uh, unemployment offices that already have job seekers revolving through their doors, or large enterprise companies that already have job seeker traffic pinging their careers pages. We just took our talent community, customized it to these verticals, and then sold the community. Uh, directly to to them which was it's cheaper you keep your burn rate lower you can run a more modest company uh, your sales cycle gets a little longer you know because you're doing enterprise level custom contracts but it was the best decision we ever made because when we ran out of money in when when covid hit we were able to sustain a really low burn rate with a you know a, a, a nice sales team and sales cycle process and see that through to eventually get to the end of that 18 month sales cycle and once those contracts started tipping all of a sudden it becomes you're at you know you we got smashed down to 100 dollars a month in revenue when covid hit all of a sudden you're at a half a million burn you know ARR then you get to 700 then you hit a million then you get 1.2 then you hit 3 then you know these larger contracts start to tip over and waterfall, and that revenue metric is really what a lot of investors you know pay attention to, and that's unfortunate in my opinion. But that's just the, the nature of being able to you know raise capital.
1: Well, you hit on that that it, that it's unfortunate, and I you know there's there's obviously a couple of different schools of thought, right? It's it's revenue growth is is paramount, um, and that's the whole grow fast mentality. But but what I think you're referring to that gets oftentimes ignored is you got to grow smart first and build the foundation so that no matter how fast you grow, um, you're able to actually sustain that growth. Right. Which I think a lot of venture capitalists, a lot of investors sometimes forget about because, um, you know, you're so lost in the recurring revenue, revenue growth um, theme that you you, you almost forget what you're doing here in the first place, which is proving value for customers that are going to stick around and love you, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, we spent spent two years building an AI component of our technology before GoGig launched. And there were, I would say, of the 47 outside investors we have in our company today, 25 of them didn't give a shit about it. Like Mm -hmm. they paid more attention to uh financial performance built off of current sales pipeline and the percentage propensity to close those deals than they did the you know uh, you know the the intellectual property that was spent by you know double PhDs that are on our team that built this you know natural language processing cultural fit matching component of our tech. So it's you know it's it's disheartening to see, and that's why I said at the beginning of the podcast, like you know, doesn't matter where your product is, just start building that pipeline, right. and 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 if you're raising money, like go raise against that, and your ability to sell and show that people. I mean, obviously, that intellectual property needs to deliver value to customers. So I almost enjoy the sales pitch more than I do the investment pitch these days. Um, I'd rather be on it and. I close way less sales than you know. Your your close rate is way less on a customer, uh, enterprise customer than it is on an investor. So uh, under most circumstances, when you're trying to close a three year contract, so it. But you know, you actually get to pitch your product. You get to pitch the value proposition of that product, why it's going to deliver value to them, why you built it in the first place. So that's a more fun scenario for me personally um but it's unfortunately you know yeah it's it's not really what investors pay attention to especially in the b2b saas space
1: yeah and and i mean you know they are in this for to make a return right so there's a yeah. certain understanding and an element of that, that that totally is it makes sense but i think what you're getting at not only isn't just the the foundation of growth but also um that you know provided that what you're building is accepted and eagerly accepted evangelized by customers if you will like that's really how all of the business gets to you know become a business anyways <laughs> that's sure. how the revenue stays revenue right uh, that's how that's how customers stay customers um is by by really understanding and having a great use for the product that they've that they've purchased and the value of the product um so it makes total sense when when you think about. Um, I think you said it's not all sunshine and roses. It's not all yellow brick road. You know, it, <clears throat> founders all the time are talking about big exits and you know big investment rounds and big deals. And you know we're kind of cultured to um, uh, you know only talk about the good stuff, right? And so part of the reason for this podcast is to kind of get down in the dirt about what got us to the good stuff, right? Um, do you have any examples of you know you know within the pivot that you made or within you know some of the past couple of years of of obstacles that that really stick out in terms of what fundamentally allowed you to to weather the storm, if you will? Um, yeah, it's
0: um, I wasn't early early on. I wasn't afraid to give away equity to really smart people that would take my call at twelve in the morning when I couldn't sleep. So like a bunch of advisors called them call them therapists at this point, if you want, but you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, when you watch, you know, we watched our revenue go from getting close to a million ARR down to a hundred dollars a month in 60 days. So that was, it was, um, because no one was hiring, right. Everybody goes, no hiring trees, our old model just, you know, we, we got smoked. So you just, you kind of have to look at that and say, okay. Um, you know it fucking sucks, but you're you know do do you do you just you know cut your losses and and walk away or do you you know sit in a room and figure out how you can you know take what you've built and then figure something else out? So we just you know we kind of sat in a room and you know obviously PPP was did nothing for us. it extended our runway by a month and a half. so the federal government wasn't gonna step in with a you know a handout for us. It didn't cover 1099s which you know in and of itself is a political discussion um and then you know so that didn't help then you have to go back to your cap table and say okay which investors are going to step up and you know kind of bridge you and extend your runway and we didn't you know we got a few but you know maybe you know but we didn't get a lot so we have you know you're staring at a four-month runway and you say okay um how do we how do we turn this thing around and try and get a couple of customers in through the door or get enough traction so that way we can attract some new outside capital um, to, you know, stack up some convertible notes or something along those lines. So, you know, learning how to to, to weather that storm is just, you know, one, you got to find something to do whenever know the shit hits the fan outside of just being an entrepreneur and for me it was powerlifting and you know playing drums and just cranking up the metal music right but that's just me because i'm a crazy you know you know white kid but the so that's just what worked for me but you know a lot of people find peace in doing things like yoga or what you know you know working on their car or you know taking a walk or meditating or whatever the case ends up being but just find that and then, you know, find and then find somebody who can help you row the boat right at the same time. So, like whether that's your significant other or your best friend or whatever the, you know, whatever that is. So if you like those were the things that just kind of help you get through that that bullshit. And you can kind of call them, call your advisors, you know, talk to them. Don't be afraid to tell them that stuff sucks. And then you make your own decision. Like, you know, you got in our case, three and a half months of runway. What do we do? We made the pivot. We you know we just we found four industries are like I think this will work for uh, higher ed I think this will work for government because they just got a massive stimulus check from the Biden administration so let's go try and get some of that mm-hmm. um, and then let's keep maintaining relationships with companies that are still in the hiring freeze so when they start hiring again we don't know when that's going to be but they'll be ready to go so and nobody's calling them right now nobody's trying to sell the HR people because they're all getting laid off so. We just did that, and we just were like, "All right, these are our four. We're going to spray and pray and see what sticks." And the government one was the one that stuck because at that time, because they were the only people that had money. So, and government contracts, when you nail one, you're you're good for five, ten years on those. So, you know, we got one, and then we got two, and and that's kind of what what kept us uh, what 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 kept us going. And a lot of people told us not to go down the government route. They're like, yeah, well, there's a reason why you, you're, you're not competing against other startups in the government because nobody wants to sell to them. Right. So, but it turns out that all I did was just cold called a bunch of lobbyists. So I was like, you know, and I was like, which one of you guys would work for? Like, here's what our product does. Do you, any of you want to work for equity instead of a retainer? And I'll pay you a success fee. And and turns out I got a bunch of them. So we we started getting a bunch of politicians and, you know, lobbyists that came on board that like, yeah, you want to, you want to talk to the white house? Here you go. And so that was, that was kind of what, what ended up working for, for us, but it was a a spring and pray tactic. I hope that answers your question. You
1: does you touch on two, uh, you touch on two key, key themes at the end there too, right? Um, number one, um, cold calling isn't dead. <laughs> like, yeah. if, if used in a strategic manner, um, you know it can be used just as any other go-to-market um, strategy. And it sounds like you um, were able to leverage that and that's incredible. And then the second one is um, leveraging channels, right? You don't have to always go direct to the customer, right? You can figure out who's got influence over your customer, um, in your case, lobbyists, right? And they were able to really help not only do part of the battle for you on the front end of the sales process, but also get you access where you might not have been able to get access otherwise. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's, that's awesome. And, um, kudos to you from, you know, being able to maintain things, getting all the way down to a hundred and now up to five and 10 and 20 million plus, man, you are on, you're on a, you're on a roll here. And I think, you know, from my perspective, after knowing you for a couple of years now and, Meaning you down at Emerge in Miami, right? I think a lot of it's because you are kind of rooted in strategy, right? Like you, your business is rooted in a mission and a purpose. And although you've had to pivot some of the product and some of the strategic value to who it you know has value towards um, your roots under the ground of what you're building have been, have been there and, and a great foundation. Um, were you able to keep, were you able to keep the team intact and, you know, things along those lines, how supportive were investors, things, things like that, just as, in, as you worked through this this challenge, were you on your own or did, did you have a really, you know, supportive team and investors behind you?
0: Um, the, the t- I talked about the advisors, so I won't go down that route again, but every every advisor is an investor in GoGig, right? Um, so, you know, a couple of them, you know, um, that we, we met through mutual relationships, but, um, the, 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 from the the team perspective, nobody left. Um, I didn't lay anyone off when we went down to a hundred. So I was like, I could have gotten my burn rate or I could have gotten my runway from three and a half months up to six or seven. If I would have laid everyone off, but I didn't do it. So, um, I don't know why I didn't do it, but I didn't. So, because they were, they were like, Hey, we're, we're here. We're in this. So, it's rock and roll. Um, and I, you know, I kind of kept the, I kind of kept the, hey, we're getting absolutely smoked close to my chest. I didn't tell them everything was going well, but I just said, hey, you know, like COVID sucks, right? They may not be ready to buy right now, but you got in, right? You got in with the head of talent acquisition at Ernst & Young, right? So they're not ready to buy for 18, 12 months, whatever, until they say, until COVID's over, they might get laid off, but You're in. So um, I said, let's just go get another one. Go get another one. Go get another one, and just let's 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 just build as much pipe as we possibly can. Because if if we're able to get that traction, then we can demonstrate at least some level of success to our investors, and that's all that mattered to to most, if not all of them. Was that hey, listen, you know, we're not. We may not be growing the top line right now, but here's what the pipeline looks like, and here's like. You know, I'll even I'll even show you some recorded demos so you can hear their feedback. Listen to the call. Um, you can you can hear that this is going to deliver value for them. Mm-hmm. And and then, um, you know, so the the level of support that all of our investors had We're you know, we're a couple of them on edge about writing in another check. Yeah. So but. You know, most of them were just like, hey, man, whatever you need, like, I'll, I'll introduce you to, to this person in my network or that person. So I just, you know, I had a bunch, like, I took the, we didn't raise a massive round of funding at the very beginning. We got a bunch of singles, um, you know, a bunch of small checks that totaled up to, you know, raising our entire round. And I didn't care what that, I didn't care if that looked like a muddy cap table. I liked everybody and had a personal relationship with all of them. All right. So I, fortunately, I had 40 people I could call and say, who do you know like i need three people like it could be an investor it could be a potential customer just give me three and then let's go that let, let's just set up that conversation we took the three you know that's you know 120 people right so we we had those discussions and it ended up going really you know it ended up going well we met more people so um everybody was pretty supportive i mean obviously you get obviously you get a couple of what the fuck calls like are you thinking mm-hmm. um like why are you gonna go sell to a higher education institution when they're the most they're more broke than than even hr enterprises and that's your business that got smoked um but i kind of said hey listen we're at a point where we need to we need to we need to sell this thing to four different market segments our pipeline is going to be massive whenever we're done and then we're just going to see which ones we will be able to close. We can shave them off later when things start to recover, but at least you know we built up a fifty two million dollar sales pipeline in eighteen months. So um, that was there. That was real.
1: You know that's something that people forget as they're in their early growth stages. you know like they keep getting all this pressure. Don't have a muddy cup t- cap table like you mentioned, right? Like don't let too many folks in because you're gonna have too many competing priorities at the end of the day, as long as you set expectations. And what I love about you, Chris, is, I always saw you as someone who set expectations with investors quite well, um, and and other folks as well. But um, particular investors who are a little bit harder to to wrangle in many cases, and 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 manage, if you will. Um, and um, because of that, what I'm hearing you say is that because of allowing more folks on the cap table, because of how you know exclusive and focused you were on finding the right investors, when shit hit the fan they were there for you in a way that wasn't just fiscal, right? It wasn't just, yeah, man, here's another check or no, man, don't have any more money for you. It was how can I make sure to help you survive this and tell me whatever you need. And that's, that's cool. That's, that, that, that's incredible to hear.
0: Yeah. I mean, you, you got a guy that, you know, that writes you a $10,000 check and He's just, yeah, he's an accredited investor, but writes you a $10,000 check and he's just a regular old guy mm-hmm. or a gal, then like they care about that $10,000 a lot more than an LP, you know, a VC, like, you know, we've got a couple of VCs. I, I, I called them and then the person that did the due diligence on our deal got laid off because of COVID. There was a new person that got put in the charge of the fund. And when I called them, they go, who are you? Mm -hmm. And I was like, they don't care. (laughs) It's like, you know, uh, but that guy cared a lot about his 10 grand. So he's like, you know, whatever you need, um, you know, I, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll help you. So having those angels on board that maybe didn't have the biggest names were that turned out to be a really good strategy. And the quote unquote muddy cap table Mm -hmm. wasn't uh, a downside for us, even in the slightest.
1: Yeah. And you kept the team, you kept the team together. Um, sounds like you displayed some level of vulnerability with, with folks. Um, but obviously, you know, wanted to make sure that you still were the leader in other aspects and, and didn't you know show them everything, which kind of brings up, you know, which kind of brings up something that, that is a theme. I talk about a lot with founders, which is vulnerability, right? Um, like, do you feel, do you feel like vulnerability in a, in a startup um in a growth stage business is a good or a bad thing for a leader? I think it's a
0: very good thing yeah
1: um you know
0: it's it could be it can come in um where it can bite you in the asses if you have different personalities that conflict right where um you know you've got if you have so you need to make sure that the top you know core of your team has know a personality that isn't necessarily exactly the same as yours it's kind of the opposite so that way they bring different perspectives to the table but you can you can clash but the vulnerable vulnerability is you know a really good thing and you know don't be afraid to let them know that you know hey this is this is this is going wrong right and you know and and set the expectation to to your team because you know, they they may get a little nervous. Like you, you don't want to tell them, "Hey, we've got X amount of days of runway or months of runway in the bank before the company dies." Right. Don't say that. That's too that's too much information. But like, hey, we lost this customer. Like, let's let's all let's all get together and understand exactly why this happened. And you know, they 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 told us they were going to go with a global rollout, and now they're just you know in a ninety day pilot. Why did that happen? Like you know, this is something a mistake that that I made or whatever whatever the case ends up being. And it's not, you know, in, in investor updates and stuff like that. You know, I always throw the negative stuff in there too. So I think it's a really good thing. I highly recommend it. Um uh because I think it you're you're also going to weed out the people that um you know early stage employees and stuff like that that don't that don't want to you know be in this high risk sort of environment or just don't enjoy that type of culture the vulnerability at least gives them an idea of what to expect for working at a company at a growth stage
1: yeah yeah and now you know that now that you're kind of on the other side of that right and and obviously not the other side of vulnerability but the other side of that you know those some of those obstacles you've got new obstacles around around talent right uh namely um and I know you're looking for some sales and engineering talent um, and we'll make sure to, you know, let folks know where they can find those job descriptions in the notes. But, you know, as you're as you're looking to to scale the team and take this thing to the next level, you know, what what other, you know, other than just you know needing to hire more talent, which is obvious, you know, what what's at the heart of either finding more talent or any other obstacles that you're now um, going through now that you've kind of, you know hit that five plus million? It's um
0: right now it's, uh, it's, you know, delivery of products, you know, for, for our team, right. Making sure that, you know, when I kind of mentioned during the early stages, you kind of sell the thing, even if um, it's held together by duct tape in a lot of instances. So right now making sure that yes, you might have a contract inked where a couple million ARR would come from it or whatever ends up, you know, being the case, you got to make sure that what you just inked onto paper can be, you know, delivered to the customer. Not that we didn't make any false promises, but that it can go above and beyond what their expectations would have otherwise been over the multi-year relationship. So um, you know, in a in a SaaS business, it's just ensuring that, you know, you're not just focused on sales the entire time right? You don't... You, it's now where you're playing a little bit of catch-up where you have to focus more on the research and development. How does your product stay ahead of the curve now that you've got that revenue growth? Because eventually 5 million... And everybody talks about that 10 million sticking, sticky point, right? A lot of companies struggle to get past that. So right now, if we can focus on you know delivery of product and making sure that it's you know, the most cutting edge thing they've ever seen, then that's what's gonna help you surpass those numbers a little bit later on down the road
1: mm-hmm. any any key roles and I mentioned sales and 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 tech, but any key roles that you found the most difficult in hiring for right now um
0: for I mean this one's a little this one's a little unique to our business, but um we're building out a government relations team
1: mm.
0: so uh, to actually manage the lobbyists, people that have been in politics before. On both sides of the aisle, for a bipartisan, you know, company. So that one's been really hard because, you know, like it's a lot of people are politicians, right, and they don't know how to sell. A lot of people are salespeople and they don't know how to work in politics. So that one's yeah. been extremely challenging. But maybe a more one that's applicable to everybody, um, I I think, are uh, product support roles, like you know, product management. Has been a little bit tough for us, like quality, you know, QA stuff, um, creative design, things like that. Has been a little bit of a challenge for us. Um, salespeople, it's really easy to judge, right? You're either good at selling stuff or you're not, and that's what I'm good at. So, um, or you know, it's it's really easy for us to build a culture around being able to, you know, sell here at at GoGig. But you know, those those other ones outside of the engineers have been like more of the product support roles have been a little bit tough for us too.
1: Yeah. Is it, is it tough just from a quality perspective or even just to get folks interested in the first place? Like, you know, any or both? It's a quality perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, tech in general (laughs) is the skills that, that are out there and, and, uh, available folks are taking, you know, two, three jobs at a time. In some cases, it's uh it's yeah it's it's a it's a very different landscape than it was a few years ago of course um awesome so um as you think about um kind of rewind, you know rewinding taking us back to the origin of gogig and you know all the all the crap that you've been through all the opportunity that you've seen and now you know you're starting to see some of that yellow brick road again um what um you know what what key things do you have for listeners that you might not have already mentioned um, that they got to keep in mind in those in those early days, um, in those you know testing days where they might be losing some customers, right? Where they might be um, you know having relationships with their team that you know are 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 being tested. Any any of those early stage growth problems that you've got some other stage advice on, Chris.
0: And that's a tough question.
1: Um, so, um, you know, you,
0: you always have to, you know, uh, for, as, as it pertains to the team, like, you know, the best thing that's the best thing that's worked for, for me here at GoGig during the early stages was not to like, let, let them know that you're willing to just roll up the sl- your sleeves and do exactly what they're doing alongside them. So if things are not going right, let's say let's say like you're looking at the silos of your business and you you're a product guy and you know how to code, then go code alongside your engineers for an entire weekend, right? Cut everybody else off, get everybody in a cold dark room, go code alongside them and whatever they're doing wrong, if you are if you can do it alongside them and say, "Hey, listen, like this is how this is how this is more effective like this way." you're you're actually alongside them, you know, doing it. In sales, it worked really well for us because I would pick up, right, like 390 deals in our sales pipeline. I would t- I would go, you know, get on with the sales directors and say, "What are the top 60 hottest deals that we're struggling with?" right, to try and get over the hump. I take those 60 deals for the next 3 weeks and you demonstrate to them how you can get them moving forward right but do it with them and you can say hey listen i know you you all have had problems with this but i just spent 3 weeks with you and here are 8 9 10 demonstrable use cases where you know you were struggling you hit sticky points i actually worked on it in the, like in the same amount of hours you did I, and, and here's how it got better so instead of telling them what to do and micromanaging them or yelling at them or telling them they're wrong or doing tons of coaching sessions Actually, do the damn thing with them. Uh, That's that in the early stages, whenever the founders, you know, wearing all the hats and kind of doing everything, but, you know, focus on that, you know, area of the company that really needs the most help um, and spend three, four, however many weeks you need to alongside them to actually show them how to do it better.
1: Hands on, baby. Nothing like it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah um you the um you mentioned a couple of folks that that we've got um in our you know in our network that you and i have um that that have been value add to you um and you know some i think some of them at least are in Tampa or in, in florida um if, if we're thinking of the same folks <laughs> yeah. um the um you know oftentimes a lot of founders are saying how hard it is to work in Florida from you know gaining getting capital and getting the right advisory help and and um you know uh really being able to build here in florida and you've been able to do it right you've been able to uh work through that as challenging as that may be at times anything for for other florida specific folks that are might be going through the same challenges of man this state is so you know disconnected man you know there's there's so many different you know pockets within florida that i need to hit you know any any sage advice there on on call it, call it raising capital or building relationships in the state of Florida.
0: Yeah. Um, it was very frustrating during the early stages. Right. I don't particularly, um, I didn't particularly enjoy the, you know, the conference that we met at. Um, I had my complaints, right. But met you, so led to something. Right. Um, but you know, let, let's talk about the capital piece for, for just a moment. Like, you know, I wasn't afraid to just um, get on a plane and go raise from some raise from somewhere else. You're, I'm seeing there's a, there's a drastic shift, especially even in Silicon Valley um, because everybody's leaving California and New York that, that was an advantage to the raising capital piece today in 2022. Um, no longer are those VC funds looking to only invest in companies that are in their own backyard. So they are now location agnostic. So, and people are meeting in person again, so you can't blame COVID for it. So pulling the whole, hey, I'm going to be in town uh, this week, uh, meeting with some fake customer that doesn't exist. I would like to meet with you as well. Um, That was the number one thing that uh, opened up doors in different cities for us. So I would just, you know, pick, pick 10, 15, uh investors that you've been cold emailing or whatever and play that card and just say hey this is i'm going to be in town this week go on kayak and pick the cheapest day it is to fly and then you know grab your cheap flight grab your cheap hotel and then go spend three four days out there actually meeting people in person Mm -hmm. and then those relationships are built um and you know it might cost you three or five hundred dollars to do it but there's no excuse like even if you live in florida why you can't get on a plane and just go somewhere else um, not with, notwithstanding, uh, when you get those relationships built in other cities that are more of the tech hubs, a lot of times the Florida-based funds are going to look at that and say, oh, you've got traction with this Silicon Valley fund or that New York-based fund. Now we'll go ahead and talk to you. Unfortunately, that is the case. And this, this is, if you're talking to VC funds at more of the growth stage, if you're talking to angel investors, then, you know, uh, a lot of times, you know, we, 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 Uh, I just went and played around in Palm Beach for a while. And we got a couple of real estate moguls that wanted to diversify their portfolios into tech. That's happening a lot more than you'd think. So from the angel perspective, a lot of people are, you know, the real estate market's hot. They think there's going to be a bubble. They need to diversify. So they're looking for alternative investments down here, whether or not you think they are. So I would stay here for the angel investors. it comes to the venture funds just go somewhere else and then you'll get the attention of the people down here
1: sage advice from chris hodges um although i do start to see that changing a bit in the mentality which is good where you know florida funds are getting more mature florida funds are beginning to um you know not necessarily rely on investment from other firms uh, outside of florida and and they're you know, they're they're getting smarter, which I think is, um, you know, gonna help bridge that gap. But that's a great point. I've heard that time and time again of, you know, yeah, investors invest where other people that have been successful investing have invested.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and don't be afraid. Uh, what Florida does have that I've seen better than everywhere else is um, the family office community. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be afraid to raise from family offices ever. You don't have LPs, they're stage agnostic. Um, there's tons of money. So I think the family office community is a really good one down here. We raised from a a couple of family offices and you get a lot of help from those people.
1: Yeah, well well said, well said. Um, So at, at this part of the show, you know, listeners know that this is a kind of closing us off with a series of five rapid fire questions. So, Chris, you ready? Let's do it. All right. Uh, what is the number one metric or KPI that you and Gogi are relentlessly focused on? Top line revenue. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the big one. What you you gave a lot of advice for um, folks that were going through some of the um, you know early stage growth challenges that you were. Um, and uh, but what are what's a top tip for growth stage founders like you? You know, kind of in that five million plus range. Um, I I said this a moment ago on,
0: on the, on the call, but like, you know, transition from your, you know, revenue growth towards your research and development on product. You've got money coming in, invest a lot into R&D, keeping your product cutting edge and get those people to love it because there are going to be some elements of referrals, channel partnerships that are going to come into play. Um, and some virality that's going to come outside of your traditional sales processes if your product can really deliver.
1: Awesome. So, what's a, a favorite book or podcast that's helped you grow as a leader or an individual? Um, man, this is this is going to be
0: atypical. I don't listen to business podcasts whatsoever. Um, my dream job after I sell Gogig is I'm probably gonna take up stand-up comedy. Um, so I listen to a lot of comedians. My favorite is to to keep me going is uh Two Bears, One Cave, uh with Burt Kreischer and, and Tom Segura. But I listen to that one just to to kind of you know get out of the world of entrepreneurship because it's day in, day out, that is all I do. That's not gonna help the listeners much, but um, I don't listen to business
1: podcasts whatsoever. So other than the dirt, of course, yeah. Other
0: than you guys,
1: man. <laughs> yeah. All right, what actor would play you in a movie?
0: Man, that's a tough one. Um, I'm gonna go with Adam Sandler because I'm pretty loopy, loopy guy. Um, yeah. or or Kevin James,
1: but yeah. I could see both of those, and they both yeah. have pretty good <laughs> beards when they want to as well, just like you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what is going to be the title of your autobiography?
0: Um. My life in and out of entrepreneurship, the truth about all the bullshit you think you know about me. I like that.
1: That's yeah, that's, that's a long but meaningful title. Man, yeah. I like that a lot. I was thinking maybe yeah. you're gonna say something about Purdue and the boilermakers, and <laughs> yeah, you know, maybe they're gonna win it, maybe they're gonna win a football championship one of these days, something like that. I'm sure. I sure fucking hope <laughs> so, man. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, listen, you've given so much today to our listeners, Chris, and always allow everyone a little bit of time for self-promotion on how others might be able to help you. You know, I know you're, you know, you're closing out a pretty big investment round. Um, you know, you're, you're hiring a lot, but um, what's the, what are the, you know, couple one or two things that listeners can help you and the rest of your squad at GoGig the most? Um,
0: you know, uh, so
1: first of all, our GoGig branded
0: products has been, um, pivoted towards if you want to work at GoGig, go, you download GoGig or go to gogig.com and join our anonymous talent community. So that is like you saying, hey, I'm a software engineer or a sales professional that wants to come work at GoGig. Um, so if there's interest, that's how you find us. We don't believe in job descriptions. So we anonymize the process to remove bias. So there's that's how we do it. So join GoGig if you are interested in getting connected with our team to potentially work here, that's number one. Um, number two, obviously, if, um, hiring entities or, or, you know, things along those lines that are interested in improving their hiring processes, um, that is what we do. So love to talk to you.
1: Awesome, man. Anti-JD. Love it. it. (laughs) (laughs) That should be the title of your book. But on that note, Chris, just, uh, closing us off. Um, what's the best way for listeners to get in touch with you if they want to learn more, um, you know, or, or, or your team to learn more? Um,
0: Hodges at gogig.com. I'm also on LinkedIn, even though I don't use it for hiring. It's a great way to connect with me professionally. Um,
1: that is it. Easy, simple, the way I yep. like it. All right, man. Yep. Thanks for sharing all that dirt with us and have yourself an awesome day. Rock on, man. Thanks, all man. Right. If you loved today's episode of The Dirt, Make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt.